You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. We'll be starting a brand new connection group. Excited about that. Um, we'll be talking more about that very soon, so stay tuned on that one. Yeah, Jen talked about, uh, let me switch my stuff. We're talking, you know, Jen, I know she had a spiritual birthday. You know, the Bible says Jesus said you must be born again. So, therefore, if you are born again, that means you've experienced a new birth, obviously. So, uh, why not celebrate it? And I know early on, um, that was, I don't know if I was told. The one thing I remember being told to do is the Sunday I came to church after I accepted Christ, uh, Joe Fleming, I think it was Joe Fleming, one of the guys in the church, just said, hey, you ought to write that date in your Bible, so you'll always remember it. And mine, by the way, was October 10th, uh, 1992 is when I wrote that. That's the day that I wrote down. And from that point on, I began to celebrate every year, uh, October 10th, it was my spiritual birthday. So, but here's the cool thing. My mom wasn't even a Christian when I got saved. But every year uh, on October 10th, she would bake me a cake. She'd put up streamers and banners and celebrate my birthday. Well, why not? I mean, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Why would you, why would I celebrate the first birth and then be like, oh yeah, and by the way, I was born again, you know, blah, 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 right? And, uh, but now I know that for some people that introduces a problem, right? Because some people are just like, well, I don't remember the date. You don't need to remember the date, right? Uh, yeah, that's really not all that important. But, uh, you know, if, if you, if there would be nothing wrong if you wanted to celebrate or commemorate your spiritual birthday, there'd be nothing wrong with kind of saying, well, it was... I know it was in the fall. I think it might have been close to September. And, you know, just say, you know what, September 1st. I'm just going to, but the date isn't important. But it is important that you remember a time in your life, not a time on the the clock, but that that you remember a place that you come to in your life to where you turn to Jesus, where you accepted Christ as your Savior. And that's, that's what's really important, not necessarily... Uh, the day or the date in particular. Um, but uh, anyway, all right, so in the book of Revelation is where we're going to begin. And we're going to talk today about failing forward or falling forward. And any of you ever fall? It's dangerous, isn't it? Uh, but no, we, we of course, uh, we, we, you may have fallen physically speaking, but, uh, but today I want to talk about, uh, spiritually speaking, falling or failing spiritually. And the thing you've got to understand is really you do not reach a point in your Christian life to where you don't fail from time to time. In Revelation 2, we, we're introduced to an interesting church here, an excellent church by so many measures in Revelation 2. It's a church that we first learn about when we read the book of Acts when the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus. And if you remember, that's, uh, that there were many that were saved there in the book of Acts. And then later on, there was a letter written to that church called Ephesians. So, And it was just a, an excellent church. There was not much to be said in the way of problems or trouble within the church. But now fast forward uh, many years later in Revelation... John the Beloved is writing to the church at Revelation, and really he's just recording exactly what Jesus told him to write. And here's what Jesus said uh, here. He says, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, 
These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the golden, the seven golden candlesticks. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying this to this church. And here's where he starts. I know thy works and thy labor. And I, I learned years ago, we're just, I want to introduce you to the way this, these people were living their lives. They were doing works. He says, I know your labor. And that, that carries the idea of working to the brink of exhaustion. You ever done that? Just working to the brink of exhaustion. So I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. And the, the patience there has to do with their endurance, their, their perseverance. He's like, man, you guys just keep on going. You just keep on keeping on. Things get tough. Things get rough. You guys just keep on going. That, that's your patience, your perseverance. And how, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And hast found them liars. By the way, there's still a lot of people that claim to be apostles and pastors and teachers today that are not. And it is important. And so he, he's commending them for these things. He said, you, you found those people who are misrepresenting me, misrepresenting my word, leading people astray, and you have exposed them. Verse 3, and hast borne, and hast patience. And again, we see patience there. For my namesake hast labored, and hast not fainted. So if we just stopped right there, just picture this church being in our community. Just imagine this being a church that we knew of in Sioux City. I mean, it was a church to where, man, they, every, they did works, man. I mean, they're just, uh, the name of Christ, what they're doing in the community, just people know about it. People are talking about it. Uh, they, not, not only are they doing good, they're, they're laboring, man. I mean, they're just, a, a, the whole church, just hardworking people, always working for the Lord. I mean, just to the brink of exhaustion. They're patient. I mean, you've, been, you've seen them year after year after year. This church is still going. It's going strong. And you go and you look at all this. They, they take a firm stand for the truth. That uh, They're laboring for His name. And I'm just trying to paint the picture there that if you could see this church, there's not a person who would walk into this church here in Ephesus and wouldn't say, Oh my goodness, this has got to be the best church I've ever seen. This, the, the way they were living was a model. It would be something you'd go to and be like, man, this is how every church should be doing. And that's very true. What they were doing was what every church ought to be doing. Nevertheless, in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee. What could Jesus possibly have against them? And it, you can read it right there. Because thou hast left thy first love. In other words, they were doing everything right. They were working hard, but they had lost the motivation of love. They were no longer doing it out of a spirit of love. It was, and we, can, we could guess what other motive. If you're not doing something out of love, as a church, as a Christian, what could be some of the other, other motivations that you might do things if you're not doing it out of love? Pride. Absolutely. Pride is one. What's some other motivations? Guilt. guilt. Yeah, absolutely. Pride, guilt. Those, those are motivations. Heard something else, didn't I? Did I hear something? What was it? Yeah, yeah, which would kind of go along with pride, getting your own credit. 
Uh, so pride, guilt. Um, ah, looking for something in return. Uh, you know, I'm doing this because I'm looking for something in return. So uh, with, with that being the, the, the case, we could just think of some of these reasons, right? Because I wonder if we just stopped and examined yourself for a moment. It's important that we keep an eye not on just what we're doing, not just on what the outside looks like, not just by following the, the rules, so to speak, um, even the principles, but examining why are we doing this? Are we doing what we're doing out of a heart of love? And so that's what Jesus had against this church. But it's interesting because it's this, this was a sharp enough rebuke to where, notice what he says in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. And again, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. He's commending them for what, he's do what they're doing. By the way, I, I may add just here kind of a little sidebar. This is, it's truly a biblical principle that before you offer correction, that you offer something complimentary. It's a biblical principle to say, to, to recognize, hey, I see how you're doing this correctly. You're doing this well. Uh, but now here's something that we need to improve on because that's exactly what Jesus did here. But he said, do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. And the candlestick is just speaking of the light. It's speaking of, uh, of the true light of the church, the true ministry of the church. And he's just saying, and I'm telling you, it's happened through the centuries through the years, through the decades, there's been churches that at one time were thriving, at one time were working, and then all of a sudden, dead. There's a, I can think of a church in, uh, I believe it was maybe may in Chattanooga, Danny, uh, that was, uh, where's Danny at? He's in here, isn't he? I may have one of the kids out. But, but, but I think, I, if I'm not mistaken, this church was like running about 10,000 people. Huge Bible college, huge church. I mean, souls, I mean, dozens and you know maybe hundreds of souls probably being saved a month in this ministry but you go there now and huge bible college that trained preachers that went all over the all over the world good church uh but it's just nothing today it's empty today there's no longer a bible college i'm not even sure if the church is even still in existence anymore and i'm talking about this is just going back to the 80s or 90s that this was still going on uh but there's a lot of places like that so there's consequence. In other words, Jesus wasn't saying, yeah, y'all just keep doing what you're doing. But man, just, just try to improve on that love stuff. No, he says, man, it's, this is dire. This is vital. Check your motivation. Make sure that you're doing what you're doing out of love. Make sure that you are, are, have your eyes on me. So after reading that passage, I want to try to get into the lesson about failing forward. Because obviously this is not what we want to be. Um, the Christian, but I want to, I guess I want to think about first of all, how does the church get to this point? Or how does a Christian get to the point to where they're checking all the boxes, so to speak, but their heart's not where it needs to be? And that's something probably we really need to ask ourselves because has anybody, has anybody besides me ever fallen into that kind of thing? Right? You just can fall into it. Uh, I'm checking the boxes. So this, this lesson is a little bit about how to avoid this diagnosis, if you will, that they've received here in Ephesus. The Christian life truly is a struggle and a fight. And that's why our very first point is going to be about understanding holiness. 
Understanding holiness. When I say the word holy or holiness, what comes to your mind? I heard Jesus, that's good. That's something good to come to mind. Holy or holiness. Anybody else? Clean. Clean. Okay, good. Man, y'all are just right on it. Y'all think the right stuff. Because uh, depending on your background, I come, what do you think of, Ralph? I think of Pentecostal holiness, right? I mean, you know, the ladies with the hair uh, dragging the ground and, you know, got the, they, they, they have mud flaps on their dresses, you know, and down to here and hair up to here. And the higher your hair, the closer you are to God. Now, again, for, for some of you in this area, you may not be as familiar with that as we are. So that's what I think of. Holy, oh, that's those holy rollers, you know. That's the holiness people, right? Uh, Speaking in tongues and falling out and putting blankets on people and all this stuff. So uh, I'm glad y'all think about Jesus and clean and all that stuff because that's what comes to my mind. Um, maybe for those that maybe come from the, the, a Catholic tradition, your mind may go to, you know, a priest or a nun or some kind of sacraments or some, some, something associated with Catholicism. But I want to talk about understanding holiness today. Understanding holiness. Um, as we're going to see in just a moment... The Bible says that we ought to be holy. We ought to be holy. We're, we're told to be holy, but what does holiness really mean? What does holiness really mean? And how many of you are just naturally holy people? <laughs> okay, good reaction. Richard is. Uh, uh, right. So, so therefore, if we've got a God that's saying, hey, you need to be holy, but he's telling us to be holy, that means we've got to struggle. That means, this is, how is this going to happen, okay? Understanding holiness. We've got a God. And so when we think about the struggle that we have, what we find is we've got a holy God, we've got a holy book, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we're told to be holy people, but we've got, a, we've got an old nature, and we've got this, this part about us that we're still people. We're still man or woman. We're just still people. Therefore, we are not naturally holy. So it's, so it's God saying, okay, here's what you need to be, and then we're trying to figure out how to get there. And therefore, it's a struggle no matter how you look at it. But what happens is, if we're not careful, we can focus on the struggle rather than focusing on Jesus. Rather than turning our eyes on Jesus, we can look at the struggle. The more we focus on the struggle, the harder it becomes. This is why God's plan, God's game plan, is not for you to focus on the struggle, but to focus on Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So as we think about those verses today, we're, he's looking at this of, of us running a race. And he's saying we need to lay aside weights. We need to lay aside sin. When I, and I like this about laying aside the sin. Which does so easily beset us. 
And being beset is the picture if you ever see on a movie or something where all of a sudden somebody's surrounded. That's what it means to be beset. And we're easily beset by sin. We're easily surrounded by sin and feel trapped and don't feel like there's a way out. Anybody else? Um, absolutely. So we're beset. We're so easily beset. So how do we run this race? He said we need to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Run with patience. And again, patience carries the idea of endurance. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus. And that word looking right there does not mean like a casual glance. That, that word looking unto Jesus means to look away from everything else and just look at Him. It means just, you know, you know when something just totally, uh, you know, captures your view, captures your gaze, that's how it says that we are to look at Jesus. So when we think about the daily grind, if you will, of real Christianity, honestly, we are daily beset by sin, easily. We are daily tempted. We are daily in a struggle between good and evil, between right and wrong. And what can happen, and what happened to these people, I want to give you here quickly, in, in, under the idea of understanding holiness, number one, number, I'm sorry, A is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. In the common faulty theology of our early spiritual growth, we contend to turn to rules and standards as our measuring sticks of spiritual health. So are we keeping all the rules? Are, are, we, are, are, are our standards right? Our journey can become a strict adherence to a code. Rather than using personal standards, because standards are biblical, separation is biblical, but these standards are used as safe boundary lines of living. But if we're not careful, they become personal measuring sticks of spiritual success. Keeping rules can become our definition of spiritual maturity. And spirituality can become an exercise in living under the law rather than under grace. Now, who was the best at keeping the rules when Jesus was on the earth? Besides Jesus. And by the way, he wasn't the best. At, he didn't keep their rules, by the way. He kept God's law, but he, the, the rules they added to the law, Jesus disregarded many of those. And Jesus was the one to show that there's something to be said about the spirit of law versus the letter of the law oftentimes too. But who were the people who were the best at keeping the rules and the standards and the laws back in Jesus' day? That's exactly right, the Pharisees. And, and, and if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, I'll just tell you a couple things Jesus said to the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, 27, he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which is like a grave, right? There's, there's, it's it's kind of like a mausoleum, whited sepulcher, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Jesus spoke very strongly to and against the Pharisees. One of the things that we need to understand about the Lord Jesus Christ, however, is that when you read the gospel narratives, we find out that Jesus' hard speech was almost exclusively reserved for these people. Pharisees, 
scribes. And I just point that out to say, how was it that Jesus dealt with the adulterers and the adulteresses? Not the, the religious ones, but that was, that's a different subject. How did he deal with the woman that was caught in adultery in the very act? How did he deal with the woman at the well? How did he deal with the, the publicans and the sinners? Yeah. Quick question. How do you deal with them? Supposed to be the same way. But what do you do when you come up on somebody that, that doesn't believe in God? Caught up in the New Age movement. Well, preacher, I try to beat, the, beat them into the ground until they understand that I'm right. And they're wrong. Right? Uh, but, but okay, I'm going to move on from that. But Jesus, he reserved that because he had mercy and grace when it came to those people. It's not that he accepted their sin, but he came to save them from their sin. Jesus did not condone. You know, you've you got to be careful. People get out of balance with stuff, right? It's one of the, being biblical, being a New Testament church like we, that, like we are, we, we strive for balance. And folks, the Bible is balance. Some people get out of hand to the left hand. Uh, yeah, left hand, that's your right hand. The left hand, right? The Bible says don't turn to the left hand or to the right. Some people go, go the right hand, right? And that would be, oh man, we're going to condemn everybody that we've ever thought that's ever sinned. We're going to make sure that we know that we're against it and God against it and that there's judgment for it. And again, that's not, that's not the way Jesus dealt with sinners, right? He dealt with them in a different way. However, on the left hand is those that just said, oh yeah, man, Jesus was so cool. He would roll up the joint with the best of them and, and he'd just sit around drinking with them. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where do you get this at? And that's, the, that's these churches that literally, you know there's churches right now in America to where you could walk in and you could hit the tap before hitting the church service. In the church. It's messed up. So there's some people that go to the right hand, some people go to the left. Both are wrong, okay? Um, but, G, but right down, the, the, Jesus lived a balanced life and we're supposed to live a balanced life as well of truth and of love and of mercy. But Jesus spoke very, very, very tough against these Pharisees. And, in, and I'll read one more passage here. Matthew 15, verse 7. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people, listen to this, draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, Jesus is saying this about the Pharisees, but that sounds a lot like what's happening with Ephesus. The church at Ephesus that we read there in Revelation. They honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Those who have worked the hardest to discipline their behavior and keep their rules were actually the farthest from God in their hearts. I'll say that again. Those who worked the hardest and was the most disciplined in their behavior and kept all the rules were the ones who were in their heart the most far and the most distant from God. That's sobering, isn't it? So it's, it's, I don't want to spend a ton of time on that point because I've got like several more pages on that because I feel like we try to address that a decent amount uh, here at Elk Point Baptist Church. But I just want to say that that's not the way. Understanding holiness, holiness is not self-righteous. 
Holiness is not something, holiness is not your performance. Holiness is not you doing better than your neighbor. And because, you know, that's how some people do. It's like, as long as I have more standards than you, I'm okay. Right? As long as I've got more standards, as long as I've got more rules and keeping more rules than you, whew, whew, okay. But we're going to see a verse in a moment that talks about we are not to compare ourselves among ourselves. Who is the goal? As, as Christians, who is the goal that we're supposed to be like? Jesus. Amen. So therefore, the comparison is not to other people. The comparison is to Jesus. Well, that changes something. Because I don't care who you are, you can probably find somebody that you're doing better than, that you're living better than. You can probably find somebody, right? And that's how people do. Well, I'm doing better than them. I'm, I'm okay. I, at least I'm this, you know, and people can be so proud. So sometimes, you know, people can get so proud of what they don't do. <laughs> you ever known folks like that? Uh, I could, if you'd have known me 25 years ago, I would have probably been one of those folks uh, that, uh, that was so proud of all the things I didn't do. I don't do this and I don't do that. And, but then the question finally arises, well, wait a second, what do you do? <laughs> what are you doing? You, are you doing anything for the Lord? No, but there's a lot I'm not doing, by golly, right? But, but people, people get measured by that. But when Jesus is the standard, guess what? Man, uh... That, that changes the perspective, right? Because now, when I look at other people, I don't look at people I'm trying to compare myself to. I look at people that are in the same struggle as me. And I look at people in the same struggle as me, looking to Jesus and saying, okay, he's the goal. He's the standard. So let's try to help one another, right? Let's try to be an encouragement one to another. And so... Understanding holiness, it's, it's not self-righteousness. It's not all the external things that you do. And then B, Christ-likeness. This is true holiness. Christ-likeness. We have here 1 Peter 1.14 where the Bible says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Which does talk about how, what we speak, but it talks about our whole, what our lives speak as well. Our, our, our behavior, our lifestyles, conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. Be ye holy for I am holy. So, God desires for our holiness to be something that doesn't just make us more like a preset standard. And that's what we, many of us have seen. There's just like this cookie cutter. There's this, there's this uh, mold that we all have to fit into and all have to look the same way, you know, act the same way, talk the same way, everything. We just, and that's the standard. And if you reach that standard, that's holiness. Well, that's not biblical. But what is biblical is not a preset standard but Jesus, amen, he's the goal. And the point of that is we never get there. And, and that's one of the reasons why sometimes people like rules. Because at least I have something to go by. Can you give me something to go by? Okay, do all these little things and you'll be right with God. Okie dokie then, good. I'm doing all these things, I'm right with God now, good. That's what people want. Because people don't like it. I mean, just human nature, it's not just like, oh, well, no, Jesus is the standard. Well, what does that mean? 
well, look at him, and until you're like him, you just, you know, you've not arrived until you're like Jesus. And that's not going to happen. Conversely, that's not going to happen until we get to heaven, just so you know. But we can be more and more like him as we go along. But that's a challenge for people, and it's a challenge for all of us. But when we measure, when, when, we, when we think about Christ-likeness, think about it this way. It's, Jesus wants to make us more like himself than he does some pastor or some spiritual leader. If you think about what some people's measure of holiness is, it's some person. But Jesus is the standard. So God calls us to holiness on every level. He calls us to grow in obedience. He says, as obedient children, that speaks of our behavior. He calls us to be transformed from our former lust into His likeness, which is also behavioral. He desires for our conversation uh, to be holy, our, our lifestyle. Holiness is simply another way of saying righteousness or Christ-likeness. Therefore, holiness plays out on the same three levels as our unfolding salvation. In other words, the moment we were saved by God's grace, we were actually declared holy by God, internally holy, if you want to say it that way, through the new birth. And if you've not been born again, Jesus said you must be born again. And that happens by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and and His finished work on the cross. But internal holiness, external holiness. And, 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 and that's where we are today. We're, we're, as Christians, between salvation and between heaven, we're being renewed. It's a renewal process. It's a process of transformation. Salvation is not a process. But our sanctification, our growing close to Him, is a process. And it's a renewal. It's a transformation Every day growing in grace. That's one of our problems too. We want it now. We want to get it done today. And we just want it to carry on forever. But Paul said this thing is a daily thing. I die daily, he said. Yielding to Jesus Christ will gradually transform your external life to be consistent with with what God's done on the inside. And I'll say that again. Yielding to Jesus Christ will gradually transform your external life to be consistent with our new nature, with what God's done in us. This is the new mind. This is how we're rescued from the power of sin. But what do we do? We yield to Jesus. We daily say, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. How would you... And and it's, it's, it's not our will trying to accomplish these things, it's simply our will surrendering to God's will and saying, Lord, you do it. And Lord, I don't have the ability to do this. I surrender my will to you. Then he strengthens us to be able to live this life. And it does change you from the inside out. That takes time. And that's one of the reasons, just so you know, that's been one of the things that that many pastors that I have a, a ton of love and respect for, it's one of the challenges that they've faced through the years is just not being very patient. Not giving time for people to grow in grace. Not allowing somebody to figure some things out. You know, it's amazing to me when you, some of the people that you may, that we have the opportunity to, to see come to Christ here, folks, they, I mean, they, they may not even know 
the basics. They, they might even know, may not even know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. They may, they may be like me when I got saved. I, I've, t- I've shared this with you before, but to me it just expresses my ignorance. And maybe some of you are or were on that same level of ignorance. Um, but there's a guy that really popularized this thing of a holding, taking John 3.16. I think it goes back to the 80s. Uh, maybe the 70s, 80s, but he, but he really popularized just going to ball games and, holding, and, and finding out where the camera was going to be the most often and just holding up a sign that just simply said John 3.16. Anybody remember that? You'll still see it pretty regularly, but, uh, but that, was, that was actually a movement. So I watched a lot of sports, and I saw a lot of John 3.16 and didn't have the foggiest what that was. Of course, you couldn't Google it back in those days. Um, I didn't know what it was. I had no clue what John was, what John 3.16 meant. None of that. I had no clue whatsoever. So imagine me coming in, getting saved by the grace of God, and then the next step being, okay, by the way, here's all the rules you've got to start following if you're going to really be right with God. Oh, but, th- but that, that, that's a disservice in a couple of ways. Because, number one, it's putting that, you know... It's showing me that the answer is rules instead of Christ. And now I don't really need Christ because i got a set of rules to follow. But, but allowing people to grow. So that takes time. And Christ-likeness. Internal holiness, external holiness, it starts inside, but it does work its way outside. It should work its way outside. The, one of the ways we're going to be a light to the world is not by being entangled with the same sins the world is entangled with. It's going to be by people seeing the victory that we have in our lives through Jesus Christ. Yes, we're still real people. We're still faulty people. But look what Jesus is doing in us. And to God be the glory. So external holiness really does matter. It starts internal. It works to the external. And then eternal holiness, praise the Lord, is when we get to heaven and are truly like Jesus. So understanding holiness, not that I may, may, there could be more said about that, but just understanding that it's looking to Jesus. And I think the next point will help expound that a little bit more. Understanding holiness to measuring maturity. These go together. So some of the questions you may have, I hope will be answered in this next question. Measuring maturity. Uh, you know, in our house today, we have a, uh, have a uh, right beside the door when you come into our kitchen, we've got marks on our little doorpost there that come from about here up to here. What are they? They're measuring the kids, right? Anybody ever do that? Anybody remember, remember having that done? Uh, so yeah, right now today, in, in our house, we still got those marks. And, uh, and, you know, especially when the kids in those... In those uh, early teens, maybe, you know, going into the teens, early teens, man, they wanted to get on that wall every day. And it's like, well, no, no, you haven't grown that much yet to be able to see, but, you know, you get the ruler out and you mark, right? You measure their maturity. You're measuring their growth. Well, how do we measure our growth as Christians? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm going to measure each one of you and your growth as a Christian today. No, I'm not really going to do that because it's not about us measuring other people, okay? I want to, get, I want to hasten to say that, but it is about how in the world can we, well, how do I know how I'm doing, preacher? How do I know how I'm doing if it's not just like, well, you know, 
are you keeping these rules or not? Because that's not a measure. People can, be, people can be wicked as can be, like the Pharisees, full of dead men's bones, and keep all the rules and have external holiness and check all the boxes. So it's not about just the external. So it's, it can't be that. How do you measure maturity? Well, there's a couple things that are really, really important about it, about me, trying to measure maturity. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, the Bible says, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Are not wise. So we do not measure ourselves against other people. I'll go down to 14, Romans 14, 4 there. That's in your notes. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. So who are you that judges another man's servant? In other words, as I look out here today, if you're saved by God's grace, guess whose servant you are? You're God's servant. You're not mine. You're not anybody else's. You're serving the Lord. So who am I to judge you as God's servant? That's God's business. Because I'm just another servant that's going to, be, going to have to stand before God. You ever have people like that? I, I used to work with this girl, man. She was hilarious. Um, she's one of these that would, she could come tell you, and she would not just, she would tell other people before she'd tell you. But she would say, Jennifer's been out there for the last half hour, and she's only picked, you know, four lines. You know, I'm talking about Polaris talk here. She's that. I don't know why she's out there. So I was like, well, how do you know that? And I want to say her name, but I won't do it. How do you know that? There's only one way. She had to stop doing her work. Log into the computer, go off the pages she's supposed to be working on, and go and see what's Jennifer doing. Ooh, ooh, let me tell you, Jennifer has not been working for the last blah, blah, blah. And that's probably true. But there's only one way she could tell that. She had to quit working. Right? So in other words, man, I ain't got time. I ain't got time to be trying to figure out who's doing what. I mean, you understand? Dude, I've got enough work to do. I, there's enough to keep up with this fella. I mean, you good night. I can't keep up with you. Right? Um, and so it's kind of that same principle. Uh, you, you, do, do your job. You know, that, that happens, and it's, it's a world that most of you don't live in, but, uh, but, I, but I, have, uh, I have friends that, uh, and, and people that would uh, maybe even be critical of me and, and my work and, and some of the ministry philosophy and the, the way that, that we do things here at Elk Point Baptist Church. I have friends, and, and I still call them friends, but... But, but that would be critical of that, you know, openly, you know, social media and all that kind of stuff. And it's tempting sometimes to say, you know, well, let me tell you. And I'm just like, man, I ain't got time for that. You know, I, I, I got work to do. I got work to do. I don't have time to get on there. I just don't have time to do it. And, uh, and that's why I, I guess it's almost like the way I could be at work, you know, when somebody else that's on my same pay level comes up to me trying to tell me how to how to do something or not to do something. I'm like, okay, all right, thank you very much. Then I keep on doing it the way I'm doing it. Because they ain't nobody. You ain't signing my checks, uh, right? 
Anyway, uh, but it's the same principle when it comes to serving the Lord. I mean, those people ain't signing my checks. I don't have to answer to them. I've got to answer to God, right? I don't have to answer to the fellowship or to some group of preachers or some group of people. I've got to answer to God ultimately. And uh, so, anyway, measuring maturity. I need to uh, say a little bit more about this. Measuring maturity. Um, let's see. All right, let me get to my section. Okay, man, this is good. I'm going to skip down here. Uh, we want to see visible success. Again, how do we measure? How am I doing, preacher? How am I doing in my life? We want to see visible success in ourselves and in others. We want to measure growth and somehow quantify success. Simply put, if you're still loving Jesus, walking with Him, yielding to Him, five or ten years from now, that's a success. Because here's what I want to say. Faithfulness is success. Staying in the fight. That's perseverance. Staying in the fight is success. Are you here? Yep, success. Now, that's not to say I'm here, but I'm ate up and, 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 and really, really living poorly right now. Well, what I mean to say is, do you keep getting up? Have you fallen? Yeah. Hey, did you get back up? You know, I mean, you, you go through this thing. Faithfulness is success. So rather than trying to measure my success by externals, God calls me to focus on the health of my heart and relationship with Him. He's more interested. This is an interesting statement. He's more interested in what He's doing in me than what I'm doing for Him. I ran into this not too long ago, and I've shared it. It's probably been about a year ago. But I, I, I wanted to be doing more than what I was doing. And so I was looking at what I need to be doing, and I'm like, okay, do this, do this. But then I, I, I began to think about why wasn't I doing what I was supposed to be doing at that time? And again, I'm not talking about gross sin or anything. It's just the, uh, the, the closeness, the, you know, commu just, just those things that I wanted to be doing as a pastor, as a preacher, as a Christian. And I started thinking, of, I thought of this just simple statement that you, you do what you do because you are who you are, right? You do what you do because you are who you are. And what I was failing to do is I was failing to recognize who I really am. I am a child of God. I have been born again. I've been saved and changed by His grace. So therefore, if I work from that context, then because of that, I'm going to do these things. But what it felt like that I was looking at myself almost like identifying myself falsely. I was looking at myself as someone who wasn't capable. And in and of myself, I'm not. But in Him, I am. So if, if, we, if we focus on the health of our hearts and our relationship with Him, that will take care of what we're doing. Because if my heart's right with God, guess what? My life is going to be right with God. Not perfect, but it's going to be right. Am I going to sin? Yep. But I'm going to confess it. I'm going to forsake it. I'm going to get it right. I'm going to get cleansed, and I'm going to keep on going. Am I going to keep coming short? Am I going to miss the mark? You bet. But I'm still after it, amen? I'm still walking with Him in love. And that's why I like when we read that verse out of 1 Peter, he says, as children, as children, because we're God's children. And we're growing and we're learning. And it's okay if we fall. It's okay if we struggle. It really is. I mean, 
<laughs> it better be. It better be okay that we fall. And it better be okay if we struggle. Because we're going to fail and we're going to struggle. So it better be okay. And it is okay. Because God's like, God, 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 God knows it. He expects it. He anticipates it. And He says, okay, here we go. Here we go again. You know, I was think, thinking about this, man. I went and saw uh, uh, Era on Friday night. Uh, man, by the way, Connor, his team had a crazy comeback win on Friday there. Akron, huge game. Connor calls the game-winning uh, turnover, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He's looking at me like he doesn't know what I'm talking about. But I'm pretty sure that's all true. But during the course of all that, <laughs> but during the course of all that, I went over to Michael and Hannah's because Carla was having, uh, they were recognizing Carla. She had a birthday. Saw Era there. That's what I'm getting to, okay? Era. Man, you know, when you got a, if you got a baby, if you got a toddler, or if you got a granddaughter that's a toddler, there can be some scary moments. And Era, at this one point, Era likes to run around. She don't walk a lot. She runs, you know, when she goes. And, uh, and it's, it's funny to watch and all that. But she started running, and she was like looking behind her like this as she's running. Well, that's not a very smart thing to do. Right? But she said, you said, Pastor, she's only a toddler. You know, what do you expect? You know? Well, exactly. So, so she's running, you know, and, and she's going right for And then she trips, because that's what happens when you're not looking where you're going. And she falls, and right here's the corner of the coffee table. And let me tell you something. Grandpa would be just like, just get rid of that coffee table for a couple years or something, right? <laughs> or can we put those little uh, noodles, you know, the, around the edges or something like that? But, but, I mean, just right here, and she just barely, I think it might have just clipped her shoulder as she fell, the point of that sharp coffee table. And, of course, I jumped up right away, and I said, Air, that was dumb. I don't know how you could be so stupid. I don't know how you could be so uh, foolish. Uh, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. What is your problem? I did not say that, people. I promise you I didn't. Why? She's just a toddler. And I'm not saying that God doesn't have higher expectations for us the more we grow in Him. Don't misunderstand me. But in the big scheme of things, God has more grace and mercy for us even than we would for a toddler. He really does. He understands. He knows. So the point is, it's, it's not a me standing there, well, maybe you'll learn this time. How many times have we told you, Era, don't run while you're looking back and don't run in the house? She's 18, 19 months old, right? I mean, what does she know? I'm telling she didn't get hurt. She was fine, popped back up. It was, but if, even if she had got hurt, man, we would have been there to love her, to help her, right? I'm just saying all that to say measuring spiritual maturity is where are you at with Jesus? And that's one reason why one of the big, one of the really important things to do uh, is to just... Just look at it that, understand that God's always loving you. He's always merciful. He's always there when you need to confess, when you need to repent. When, when you fall, when you fail, He's there. Fail forward, fall forward. That's kind of what that, that's the title of this lesson. It's not just trying to keep these rules, and as long as you keep these rules, you're good, but your heart can be in all kinds of bad shapes that way. But let God work on the inside. It'll make its way to the outside, but you're still going to fail. You're still going to come short of the glory of God. That's not going to change. It's not going to change. And instead of being so prideful, you've got to beat yourself up all the time. Why don't you start giving glory to God for being a merciful God and forgiving God, right? 
And then also, why not just start, and, and that's one of the, the key phrases I learned this years ago. This, what I'm telling you, I've said it a, a hundred times because when I encounter things that totally transform my life, I have a tendency of sharing them a good bit. And this is one of those things when in 1 John chapter 4, the Bible talks about having boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness in the day of judgment. In other words, being able to stand before God and know things are okay between me and the Lord. Because here's the great thing. The thing about trying to keep all these rules and keep up with what the rules are and keep up if you're doing everything just right, you don't ever know where you really stand. You, you may think you do, but sometimes there's sliding scales on that stuff. But when I have confidence that, you know what, no, I'm not, I'm not living the way, I, you know what, I failed again. And I'm not all what I ought to be right now. I am not. But you know what? Jesus is okay with me. Did you know that? We say, preacher, well, I got a problem with you. Oh, that's too bad. But Jesus is okay with me. Yeah, that, that goes back to, you know, my, my friends or, or somebody that would, that would condemn, you know, uh, some philosophy in ministry that I have that's not against the Word of God. Um, oh, but, well, brother, I, I wish you could see things the way I, I see them, but hey, Jesus is okay with me. Do you, know you know how much problems insecurity causes within the church? Insecurity. We judge people so hard because we're insecure. Because we know, perhaps, how dirty and rotten and whatever else about ourselves. We know that we ain't all that we ought to be. And all of a sudden, Evan looks at me funny. And he just looks at everybody funny, so don't worry about it. Evan looks at me funny, and the first thing I think, oh, I know, he's judging me. He thinks he's better than me. Insecurity. Insecurity. But when I'm secure in Jesus, I, I, I value you. I value your opinions. I, I care what you think. But ultimately... As long as Jesus is okay with me, I'm okay. I'm okay. Does that make sense? Um, and so, uh, keep, keeping our eyes on Him. And then this, this last uh, point is failing forward. That's the last blank here. Number, not the last blank, the, the last on the threes. And then I'll give you these. Failing forward. How do you fail forward? You, how do you fail forward? Number one, you remember. You remember where you came from. You remember where you came from. Um... You may not be where you want to be right now, but you're not where you used to be. Amen? Think about that. Remember where you came from. Remember what God's doing in your life. I want to say this. This is an awesome thing. You go back all the way to the book of Joshua, and I'm not going to say a lot about that, but Joshua was fighting and claiming the promised land for God. God, come, God said, I'm going to give you the land but he said you got to fight for it. There are so many paradoxes in the Christian life. There really are. I'm going to give you the land, but you got to fight for it. Here it is. There was a lot of missteps and failure throughout Joshua. There's missteps. There's victory through failure. There's victory after failure. There's victory in spite of failure throughout the book of Joshua. The only way Joshua and his armies, you listen to this closely, the only way that Joshua and his armies could lose the fight is if they quit fighting. 
failure was never final. You are not a failure when you fail. You're a failure when you quit. You cannot fail if you keep fighting. Failure was merely a temporary setback that called for remembrance, repentance, and restoration. So keep fighting. If you keep fighting, you'll keep winning. You got to mark that down. We're going to fail. But you've got to learn how to fail forward. Remember where you came from quickly? Remember that God ordained this struggle. Remember that God ordained this struggle. Remember also, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. Uh, you remember how it was when you were a kid? And say you broke the rules at home, you broke the rules at school, whatever it might be. And usually, if you knew you did wrong, what does a little kid usually try to do when they do something wrong? Hide it. They try to hide it. They might even try to hide themselves. They'll lie about it. Right? That's, what, that's, what, that's the way kids do because it, it reveals something about human nature. Here's what, here's what kids try to do. They try to hide it. They try to rationalize it. They try to deny it. They lie about it, and then they blame some, some, somebody else or something else. Because they're all about avoiding punishment. But if we're not careful, that's, how we, that's what Adam did, by the way. Adam sinned in the garden, and he went, and he hid. He rationalized. He blamed God. He said, this woman you gave me, Right? He blamed God. He blamed Eve. Right? Um, failing forward. When you fail, there's only one thing to do when you fail. Acknowledge it and run to Him. Acknowledge it and run to Jesus. You can't pay for it. You can't hide it. He already knows about it. You can't run from Him. You can't avoid Him. He's everywhere. You can't earn your way back. He's already done that. Why would I run from Him? The only compulsion to run from Jesus would be that I've allowed my heart to love sin more than I loved Him. See, God has removed every obstacle to our closeness with Him except for our wills. So remember there's no condemnation. And then lastly, remember that this struggle serves a purpose. This struggle serves a purpose. So it's not, the, the, the holiness that we seek is not in just trying to keep some set of rules. Listen, there are, listen, the Bible has things that we ought to do and ought not to do. There's no question about that. But the first thing is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and let the other things flow from that. You know, don't go to the extreme of, oh, yeah, I'm glad we don't follow the law to going to the, those who just, you know, revel in sin. Sin is captivity. Sin is bondage. That's foolishness for, for, for Christ, Christian teaching does not embrace an openly sinful lifestyle. It's ridiculous. 
We have standards. We have separation. We have all these things. But those things are guidelines to help us in our lives. They're not the end goal. So when you fail, fail forward. When you fall, fall forward. Look to Him in forgiveness. Amen? And this will help you, and, and you'll hear me say more about insecurities. I want to get more together about insecurities.